everyone, thank you for listening to this week's episode. Before we get into it, I just wanted to let you all know that this week's episode contains a discussion about sexual assaults around the 34-minute mark. It comes up several times throughout, so if you're at all uncomfortable, please feel free to skip this episode. It will not hurt our feelings. Thank you again. listening to let the right films in a podcast on the imdb's top 250 movies i'm your host the kitten who survived again kayla st Ange. with me as always is tyler hannon i forgot what you wanted to be introduced i will hug your whole face (laughs) awesome with us again this week is our guest sean lawfrey our beautiful lucky star hey what's up guys hey how are you how's it going it's going good Awesome. I'm excited for homecoming myself. I'm really stoked to go to the game. Yes. And just party afterwards. Uh, Yeah, I actually just found out that homecoming in college is a thing. And I found out the hard way. clearly don't sports. I found out the hard way when I went to work yesterday and there were people everywhere. It was horrible. I had to wait in line at Chipotle for like 15 minutes. Oh, God. Life is so hard. It was. It was super hard. Yeah, anyway, so today we're going to be talking about the seminal horror classic Alien, but before we get there, uh, Sean, have you watched anything good recently? Uh, yeah, I have. Uh, so <laughs> Alien is close to me, just because kind of horror is and, and all that type of stuff in general, so I've been watching lots of horror stuff all October. Um, I watched The Fly last weekend, it's one of my all-time faves. So good. It's super gross and awesome, and... Um, <laughs> crazy and all those things that you always hear about with that era of Cronenberg so um and Goldblum Goldblum. how could you forget I was gonna say you got it Gina Davis is amazing it's it's such it's really just their the love that they have that she has for him despite everything that that goes on in that movie and and all of the horrible fucked up things he does just in general and toward her and she still feels that connection to him. It's it's extremely powerful to the point where when what happens at the end happens at the end happens, it's like <laughs> it fucks me up. It is like deeply affecting. It's, I love that movie. I have never seen this movie. It's very upsetting, but yeah. really good. Yeah, uh, it's awesome, and I recommend it. You should check it out, and we'll talk about it. Uh, and then, um, and I think you guys may have talked about it, but Wes Craven died, and. So I've been watching some of his old stuff too. So like the original Hills Have Eyes and um, he has a, a Swamp Thing movie that's I think is really I, underrated. I um, forgot about the Swamp Thing movie. Yeah, it's you should check it out. Uh, I am a big fan of the comic book character and how and he's kind of like a, a tragic hero. So um, I kind of not necessarily relate to that, but I feel like I'm a big monster sometimes. So. Aw, I'm sure that that's not true. (laughs) In the badass way of a comic book character. Okay, good. (laughs) Yeah, we we watched, what West Craven movie did we watch? Well, yesterday, IFC uh, was doing a 
Nightmare on Elm Street marathon, oh. and I saw parts of three that had nothing to do with Russ Craven. I don't think. Wait, did he direct come back for the third one? He came back for the last one. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think he did the third one. Okay, I thought but, he might have been involved in the third one. Wait, somehow. isn't the third one the Dream Warriors one? He's uh, involved, but he did not direct it. Okay, I know sense. he didn't direct it. I'm not sure. He did. I maybe Nightmare. he wrote it. Um, yeah, I think that might be possible. That movie's insane. No, uh, the fourth one is Dream Warriors, I think. Okay. No, the third one's Dream Warriors. Is it? What's the fourth yeah. one? Uh, Dream Master. Oh, okay, that's right. And then the fifth one is Dream Child. And I was like, kind of falling. I was like very tired at that point, but I I, the, I saw the most of Dream Child. That that is, and I looked it up later. I'm like, man, this is weird. And it, it apparently <laughs> is like, and it, it, it is it sticks out even in the Nightmare on Elm Street canon for being like darker and more gothic. And there's like, there's there's a there's a baby, and it becomes <laughs> no 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 the ba- there's a gross gross baby that is born in the beginning and it becomes freddy krueger and <laughs> a guy becomes a literal speed demon on a bike i was like i was in and out so this is a bad thing to lead with <laughs> but that movie's weird well, that and so like, last week we tried to watch the new nightmare and that didn't really work out either i was very tired <laughs> Tyler just always falls asleep. I do not always fall. I fall asleep at a reasonable time for an adult human being. Well, that's just I think funny. I like New Nightmare a lot. I think if you're not tired sometime, you should check it out. It's I'm very t- like a proto Scream. Like you can tell the direction he was headed because New Nightmare was the film he did right before Scream. And it has a lot of the same kind of meta sensibilities. It's really cool. Yeah, I liked what we saw of it. Mm-hmm. Also, the main girl's name, Heather, her actual name... What is it? <laughs> the lead actress. Heather Langenkamp? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I know yeah. it's Heather something. She is yeah. gorgeous and yeah. did not really appear to age between Nightmare on Elm Street 1 and that one. Yeah, it's wild. And... She's a horrible actress, but I do agree that she's, <laughs> she's pretty. <laughs> she's so pretty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I haven't really seen enough of her stuff. When we watched the first it's Nightmare on Elm Street. It's probably just mostly Nightmare on Elm Street. Well... Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I... <clears throat> When we watched the first one, it was like they were all babies, so I was kind of like, yeah, you know, they're working <laughs> yeah. it out. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it didn't work out much more. Yeah. Years, but so along those lines too, the um, there is a documentary, like a four-hour documentary, released, and it's incredible. Even if you haven't seen every, all of every single one, it's super fascinating, and I, I recommend it very highly. It's called Never Sleep Again. I think it's on Netflix. It's I think really, it's really my fascinating. list. Yeah. Never ending list. There are so many horror movies that we've been meaning to watch this month that we just have not had time to watch yet. It's a super bummer. You know, uh, I watched a bunch. So we recorded uh, the last episode a little closer to this one than usual. So we didn't have as much time. But I I watched a bunch of TV, actually. So I rewatched the first episode of Game of Thrones when everybody was alive and had all their body parts and they were just like a family loving each other and making tough life decisions <sighs> about career choices. <laughs> you know, so that was that was fun. And then I thought, oh, man, half these characters in the scene are dead now. It's uh, or, you know, otherwise uh, mangled. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that Sean, was... do you watch Game of Thrones? No, I've seen the first. Um, I said, well, I've seen the first episode. Like five times, and then I've seen <laughs> I've seen the subsequent like you know four or five a couple times, but always for some reason just kind of stop. I think it's because 
I think about the idea of there being like 60 hours more uh, to catch up on, and I'm just like, it's too much. <laughs> God, when season one came out, I literally watched nine episodes in one day. <laughs> okay, just think if you had a bunch of people telling you to watch Supernatural all the time, and just... How many hours of Supernatural are there? 200? Honestly, you can stop watching Supernatural <laughs> after season five. Okay, but that's still 100 hours of Supernatural. <laughs> which I'm sure is 100 is hours good. of creepiness, but also pretty pretty people. But uh, it's 100 I hours. I can put together, I'll put together a list of like good episodes for you to watch. That way you don't have to watch. I'll there's... watch Supernatural when you watch Buffy. Oh my god. Whatever. Uh, the, but the best thing I watched recently is I finally finally caught up with a few episodes of last week tonight which i have seen bits and pieces from on the internet because people love that show and with good reason it's john oliver is hilarious it's really fun getting his um more british take on things and a lot of people talk about how john stewart just started turning into a fox media fox news critic uh, fox news critic machine kind of mm-hmm uh, and some of the things that so in the last few episodes, John Stewart tackled, sure, like he tackled the two politicians in Michigan who had an affair and tried to cover it up with rumors that the guy was gay, or but he also talked about mental health for a really long time. He talked about the refugee crisis for a really long time, and it was all super well researched and meaningful and, and um, felt. He, he put a ton of his team put a ton of work into it and they really did their did their uh, stuff on it uh, but it was especially the mental health one it was very uh, nice to get attention for these things that don't always get the attention that they deserve and not just in the uh, shallow way of being like why don't we talk about this more but actually talking about ideas and ways we can fix things uh, it's also interesting because he can say he can swear a lot because it's HBO and there are no commercial breaks. So that makes it is like a very it's like a tight 30 minutes or 29 minutes. By the end, I'm just like, God, I feel like I've been through the ringer a little bit with this no commercials thing. Yeah, it sounds stressful. It sounds like he's just like lecturing you for a half an hour. No, he's it, it, it is odd because he it is him in his desk and there aren't really any correspondence or anything. <laughs> But uh, he's he's very light and he's really funny and that helps a lot. He's got a very uh, he's he's relate he re- he's relatable enough and jokey enough that it isn't quite so much of a lecture. Although it does get to by the end, it's gets pretty long. He also does these uh little bits where he'll get people to record thing at the things at the end or stuff like that. So um. So for the one that focused on the refugee crisis, a lot of it was this coverage of this 16-year-old girl in a wheelchair. And basically his whole thing at the end was like, how could you not want this girl in your country? But also all the other people. And he gave all the reasons why it's actually helpful to bring refugees into some of these European countries. And there's a point when she's being interviewed in the news coverage that he's he's talking about where she talks about how she learned English by watching The Days of Our Lives. And like her, fa- she had this favorite. She had a ship on that show, basically a favorite couple, but the guy died in the show, and she was like, "Why did they do that?" And so he put. He's like, "We put in a couple phone calls, and he brought in the two actors that played that couple, and they like basically filmed a scene where he comes home, and she's like, wow, you're okay.'" 
And then he's like, yeah, it was almost as bad as the refugee crisis. And they then they go on pay like, yeah, that's crazy how like all these refugees are coming and no and none of the countries will take them and things like that. And it was very heartwarming. So I think they purposefully find a way to kind of wrap things up in a more optimistic manner at the end of the show to kind of make up for the nonstop half an hour of political discussion. But it's very well executed. It's got a really clean design, both the set and the uh, the opening credits. They're very white, very modern. It's a it's very pleasing. I, I found it. I, I'm like I like how just neat and orderly this is. This is <laughs> this is like everything. All about my my sensibilities are really vibing on this right now. But yeah, I it's honestly I only I caught episodes 51 through 53, so I missed the any opening stumbles that there might have been but uh, so far i think it kind of deserves a lot of the credit it's been given and i'm glad it exists yay i don't I, it sounds like neither of you have seen any of the show yet john oliver i watched when it first started i was watching it kind of regularly because we have hbo obviously but i have had very limited free time for the past like year of my life <laughs> so I have not really been keeping up on that. <laughs> I might go back. I'm probably going to go back and watch a few more. It's not, it is nice that it's once a week. So like with John Stewart and Stephen Colbert, I like never was able to stay on the wagon with those because man, dedicating yourself to a half hour of television every night is difficult. Um, that is, I guess true. But also if you consider how much Netflix we watch, like it's actually not true. I didn't want <laughs> but yeah so i'm offended yeah um we literally recorded on thursday and i had a date and then i worked and whatever so you watched um, alien i watched i did watch alien um last week or the week before that when kyle was on the podcast he had talked about black mirror so i watched a couple episodes of that and that show is really interesting uh, we dove in with the first episode, as you were supposed to do, about the prime minister having sexual relations with a pig. Which I just, as a pilot episode of a show that you're trying to get people to return to, mm-hmm. like, and I don't even know because like it wasn't a scary episode, but like that fucking haunts me. Like I like <laughs> will wake up in the middle of the night and be like, oh my god, he fucked the pig. Like, he had sex with the pig. Like, I just, like, cannot stop thinking about it. And it's horrible. Yeah, it's very, it's pretty horrifying. I mean, I guess is the point. Yeah. But, wow. (laughs) And now the the prime minister of of England actually did fuck a pig. Yeah. Did you guys hear about that? Yeah, I did. No, uh, so... Funny enough, uh, my job is basically glorified newspaper clipping on a computer. And while none of the articles about that were relevant, uh, two of the publications we deal with are The Independent and The Times of the UK. And yeah, they had a fucking field day about that. (laughs) John Oliver, a British man himself, also had a field (laughs) day. So it was like me just like trying to find the articles about cars and stuff and just having to flip through like pages and pages of like prime minister, pig, sex, blah, blah. So, uh, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, so it's we also... how they got the blah part in text. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we also watched the episode with, like, the 
where it looks like it's a post-apocalyptic society and then there's a crazy twist at the end that I don't quite want to give away. But it had uh, Tuppence Middleton, who is in Sense8, which we all may remember as my actual favorite thing to happen in the past year. And (laughs) she is wonderful, as always. And yeah, so other than that, I have not really had time to watch stuff. I mentioned this on our last podcast, but I'm still rewatching Parks and Rec, as always. Um, we just got to season six, so I'm hoping that by the time I finish season six, Netflix will have gotten their shit together and added season seven. The weekly Parks and Rec rewatch segment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, that's pretty much it. So for our, the main section of our podcast today... We are going to be talking about Alien. you lead because you wanted to talk about reviews and stuff like that so this movie when it came out was very successful in the box office it ended up making 80 million dollars domestic and that seems pretty pretty confirmed pretty solid and the foreign box office is where it comes into question i first noticed this when i was doing the uh very general stuff on wikipedia kind of bringing stuff together but then when i checked a couple other more uh Trustworthy sites, box office mojo, places like that. The foreign box office money ranged anywhere from $24 million to $122 million, which is one number and then a number six times as high. So (laughs) this movie either grossed about $100 million or twice that amount. It's one of those two. (laughs) But it did make $80 million domestic, so it's, it's regardless of what that foreign number came out to. It was a big success, clearly. It was re-released in the 2000s. It spawned several sequels. The fourth one we have mentioned multiple times on this podcast because we're just baffled by why anyone involved is involved with it. Is that the one that Michael Gondry directed? Yeah, and that Sigourney (laughs) Weaver is in and that Joss Whedon wrote, and it's just one of the most baffling things I ever knew existed. Except money. Money is the reason for everything because they wanted the money. Capitalism. They wanted the money. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the movie was gen- – now it is a, basically a consensus of, of that this movie is a great – it's a classic. It's highly influential, all those things. At the time, it was a little more mixed. Two people uh, – a number of critics uh, kind of derisively called it just a slasher movie in space. Ebert specifically called it a haunted house in space. And uh, Ebert's one of the people who now, especially with the re-release of the movie, changed their minds on the movie. And now, well, 
when he was still alive, gave it five stars. Leonard Moulton was another one who panned the movie when it first came out, and upon the re-release gave it a positive review. Someone actually asked him about it specifically, and he was just like, yeah, the re-release gave me a chance to see it again, and I was wrong the first time. Which I found very refreshing. You know, I'm always curious about that, though, as to whether it's like how like Pitchfork will give an album like a one star and then later it'll be like, oh, best album ever. So I'm Neutral always, Hotel. Yeah, I'm always curious as to whether like they actually change their minds or if they just feel stupid. It's better for the brand. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I don't know. I kind of I am going to take that with a grain of salt. Honestly, I mean, it's I can possible. It's possible. But I don't know. <laughs> I could be someone susceptible to the opinions of others or to put it a more a less unflattering way when someone talks to me about why they like something and they put a, when you see something in other people's terms you can appreciate it in a different way so like with ebert calling a haunted house in space he meant that as a negative but generally we kind of view that as a positive now like you know die hard on a plane is not necessarily a bad thing but um uh, it i i thought it breathed some air to but that's getting into the actual uh our review of the movie so those are kind of the basics going in, but generally it's it was successful at the time, and now it's even more of a success. Well, so I mean, and good on like, you, Ridley Scott. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and it is genuinely a great film, like aesthetically and the right, like with the writing and the effects. That's and, actually yeah. an interesting. Uh, so uh, part of. One of the things people didn't like when this movie first came out is they weren't a big fan of the script. They're like, uh, it seems kind of like they threw the people out there and they just kind of did whatever, which apparently that's actually what it was in interviews. Sigourney Weaver has talked about how it was kind of a bare bones script and it was they just emphasized being the characters and like so they would put them in these situations, but it was more <laughs> not quite improv. Not not on that level, but that there was a lot of the stuff uh, came out of just like the shooting of the movie and actually reacting. And that's that's it. That's the that's the term she used. She called it uh, reacting, not acting for much of that movie. So yeah, I, just... I, I, I read some stuff where a lot of the um, the designs were kept not necessarily secret, but the actors weren't necessarily made aware of like how fucked up the, the like the Giger designs of things were. So when they got on set, it was like a genuinely like, this is gross and weird and, and kind of freaky. So I think that's how they got a lot of maybe more naturalism out of the acting was kind of little subtle things like that. It was freaky. It's still, I mean, it's yeah. interesting. I don't know. See, here's the thing is I like the way that it works in this movie. I'm generally not a fan of like, fucking with actors heads to get a reaction out of them because to me like this is the big issue that i have with kubrick actually (laughs) which we will get (laughs) which is a completely different conversation but to me it's like you should trust the people that you specifically chose to be in this movie to do their job and to act like sometimes it's good to get like a genuine reaction out of someone and not them know but also when you're like almost exclusively doing that Someone can get hurt really easily. People like you don't like you just don't know how people are going to react. Like something horrible could happen. Like, for instance, a good example of that is in The Exorcist when they had like the I can't remember which actress it was, but they had tied like a harness around her to yank her back and they like broke her ribs because they didn't tell her that that's what was going to happen. And so in that case, I'm not a huge fan of that. But in this movie, it appears to have worked a lot better. 
mostly because um i guess you're dealing aside from sigourney weaver with generally like experienced people <laughs> no not to, i mean pulling another anecdote from that same sigourney weaver interview the worst thing that seemed to happen was at one point like uh ridley scott yelled at her and she kind of like ran away upset and he ran to catch up with her he's like i'm so sorry i just i've been wanting to say that and i didn't think i could say it to john hurts <laughs> <laughs> but it seemed like a more amicable set than say uh kubrick one which you know is problematic i um <laughs> i i watched this with the uh audio commentary on from the original dvd release Ooh. and um ridley scott was like the most delightful like charming british man just like a he, you could tell he has like a true adoration for this movie and for the people in the movie, and it it seemed like he had um, pretty good memories from the set uh, from the sounds of it. It didn't sound like it was overly tumultuous, you know. And um, he uh, he said on set it felt like they were making something special, which I, is always interesting to hear. Like I, I, I think it's interesting when people either don't know they're making something that's going to become a classic or they do sort of have that feeling that like this, we could be onto something, you know, uh, especially from the director's POV. I think that's, it's fascinating to hear that, you know, even, even at as young of a director as he was, he still was kind of like, yeah, we, we have it all together for this, you know? So when was that commentary recorded? You said it was eight, I think. Okay. I, I do. I, not that I don't, believe it or whatever it's just i do it is fascinating to think about obviously he had those 20 years in between when the movie was really successful and spawned sequels too so it's like oh this was a good time this ended up being a really good thing for you right it's, i don't know i feel like there's something to that though like have you know like oh like it, there are sigourney things... weaver echoed that too because she like loved the role of ripley and what the alien movies did for her so well, yeah but i mean it's also but i mean even more generally than that like I've worked on things or like written things and I'm just like, yeah, like this is going to be good. Like this is going to do something, help people. Like what, obviously I don't think oh, the LA movies like uh, help people, but you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> I'm, and I'm not trying to say he's lying or whatever. Just like, I imagine like the, cause you have those really nice feelings and then it actually gets pulled off well. And I imagined like those, those uh, memories only get rosier as the years pass, <laughs> That's I guess which is not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. Like I'm glad that they all have that satisfaction from that movie. Well, I don't know about John Hurt. Yeah. He mostly just had a thing on his face. But... <laughs> well, that's like a bummer when I, I, that makes me really happy to hear because one of my least favorite things is when like you see an amazing movie and it just blows you away. And then it turns out everybody who made it was fucking miserable while they were making it. Biggest yeah. example of that, uh, in the past year or so was for me, blue is the warmest color, which was such a bummer to me because that movie, like ruined my life kind of it was very emotionally draining and just I remember watching it and just feeling like this was so good and so special and then it turned out that fucking everybody who worked on that movie hated it because of how terrible the director was and how like he put them like he yeah he put them through the ringer and it's just yeah so I I'm glad that especially considering the subject matter and the jet like it's and it being a male director makes it even I mean more that gross. is a huge part of the problem yeah which is why it's good to see I don't know it's it's always interesting to me when you have a lead female character but like male writers and male directors 
because it's always really hard for them, I think, to truly understand like what yeah. they're trying to do. And we kind of talked about this before we started recording where like, I really like Ripley as a female character and I really think that she is, for the most part, a good example of like uh, as good of a feminist character as you can get out of a movie in 1979. Mm-hmm. But since her character was originally supposed to be a man and they just like changed it kind of at the last minute, it's hard to well, tell like how many of those qualities were supposed to be tied into like her gender or if they were even attempting to like actually make a strong female character or if they were just like, well, uh, I guess we'll just switch this around and pretty much leave her exactly the no, same. Because um, <laughs> one of the things I found in researching this, it was they cast Sigourney was Weaver was cast at the last minute, but that's because it took such a long time to find the right person to play for Ridley Scott to find the person he wanted. Um, it was actually someone working on the film. They don't, remember who who suggested like seeing her in a play mm-hmm. like on a broadway play or something because she was pretty much a no name at the time but uh he suggested earlier on that he wanted the female character and the studio was actually really uneasy with a lot of the things he was doing and this was just one of them where he decided after the script was written and everything he thought it would be really cool if a woman played the character yeah. and i like it's it really seems to have come from a genuinely honest place for ridley scott especially in the 70s there i don't think there was a lot of stunt casting of a woman in the lead role like some of the things we'll see today uh it it, it seemed to come from a really genuine place and he really really backed uh having a woman in the lead role and getting sigourney weaver which is another thing that made uh made me think pretty made me happy about this movie is that uh, Ridley Scott just seems like a great person all around, or at least a lot, a lot better of a person than many of the directors we hear about. Yeah. But uh, another thing, so this is more of a Ridley Scott thing than an Alien thing. So we talked, we mentioned how he generally, with Alien, he's not the Kubrickian style director or even Fincher, where like everything has to be perfect and you have to do it over and over and over again, or like he has to torment you in some way to get a really real reaction from you, which is not what Fincher does. I just want to qualify as far as I know. The Martian just came out and has done really well, kind of turning around his last couple movies. Watch it. Have you seen the it? Counselor, no, the counselor is so great. I think, I think in like 20 oh. years. People are going to say that it's a classic. I really want to see The Counselor. I've been wanting to see it for a while because, I don't it's know. It's fucking batshit insane. Uh, uh, but it, to me, in, in some of the best ways possible, watch the director's cut. It is, <laughs> it, I, I don't want to say too much, but it is amazing. I, I really think it's going to be a classic someday. Anyway, sorry, so, go ahead. No, I am so, hold on, I just want to touch on this for a second because I am yeah. so confused by this because... At the video store that shall not be named, we got like a million copies and unanimously every person and even like people that I trust normally in their opinions said it was awful. And like I heard from like reviews and looking up online that it was terrible, IMDb ratings, message boards, etc. And then like I think it was Malcolm who was like, no, that movie was actually amazing. And I was like, yep. What? Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, I um, guess it doesn't surprise me that you and Malcolm have similar opinions 
at I, all. I but... also listened to Grantland's Hollywood Prospectus podcast, and that was definitely influenced by that, where they were like, this movie's like insane, but actually kind of great. And I'm like, you know, I'm gonna, we're going to have to watch this now. And also the, so the people involved in it, like I, 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 I really look forward to watching it. I was hoping to see it before this podcast, but we just didn't have the time. But yeah, uh, with uh, Ridley Scott, like this, The Martian has basically been a big success for him. And I think I was listening to a Slate podcast, but I've heard it mentioned before. So Ridley Scott has these, not cult classic, because they're super popular, but these uh, very genre-style genre sci-fi movies in his past, like Blade Runner and Alien, that are really big. But he also does these big blockbuster Oscar movies, like Gladiator and things like that. And it's, he, basically what they posited, and this, this is why, it's the Slate Culture Gabfest, I think was it. It was just a fascinating point, is that uh, that basically he's not an auteur like the way you would think someone who made an alien or a Blade Runner would be. <laughs> he's not an auteur the way you think someone who made Blade Runner, like this notoriously many movie, this notorious movie that has many different cuts to it and all that. Uh, he's... But he's also not like a studio shill who will just like work for hire. He's this weird blend where he'll make these like really interesting, like where he can go between both worlds, where he can make weird movies like those, but he can also make the big, big budget Oscar movies. And he just seems, he almost seems just like a regular human with many interests who is just talented at his job. <laughs> and I just, it's, that's just kind of fascinating because so often we laud the people who are, only super difficult or only do certain specific styles of things or very they have their style and no matter what they do you can see it in everything it's kind of interesting that we have this director this 77 year old director who's been making movies for many decades who has just a really diverse career i mean i do want to touch on um while we're heaping praise upon him uh the exodus debacle Oh, God, yeah. Because yeah, that is really important to me because he fucked up. I w- like, I, like will, I will say, in terms of the quality of the movie, it's supposed to be fine. I don't but care. But that movie is whitewashed it as It is hell. inexcusable. And when he's doing interviews and saying things like, yeah, you know, if we'd not cast white people, we couldn't have made this movie and blah, blah. So fucking don't make it then. The story of Exodus is not that important. <laughs> it's also not even the actual story of Exodus. They replaced Moses' staff with a fucking sword. Okay, it's closer than Noah. That's badass. No, okay. <laughs> Moses using his staff is, like, central to the entire story of Moses. Okay. Yeah, but what if he had a sword? <laughs> I think Sean's making a valid point here, and I'm you are saying... letting years of religious schooling get in the way of <laughs> badassery. All I'm saying is that while Ridley Scott is a great director and has done many good things, I don't want to just uncritically heap praise on him when he has done this, like, oh, this horrible, true. fucked up thing. It's, it's that whole thing how all your favorites are problematic. Like, yeah. every single person you love i know has and done ow my foot just cramped i'm sorry oh my God. <laughs> ow yeah i'm sorry my foot just cramped really badly <laughs> please leave this in oh my god what tyler is trying to say is that like my foot hurts no stop is really that... scott has a has a voodoo doll and he just poked <laughs> i was the one being mean i don't know why tyler got hit he only knows the where not the who <laughs> so yeah so that's the thing that w- when we do this podcast that i always like to touch on is that like there are everyone you love will let you down 
pretty well I mean pretty much like you have to be able to be critical of the things you like and the things that you care about because like even in getting back on track within Alien a thing that I wanted to talk about is like although we have these really great strong female characters the way that they're treated in the movie is so almost like absurd to me (laughs) because you have Ripley who's like kind of the more like stereotypically feminine woman doing her thing, doing her job. And then you have Lambert, who's like this really brash, like short haired, like no nonsense woman. And in the end, guess who survives? And guess who is like apparently violently raped to death by an alien? Uh, It is. Lambert is also like, there's this weird thing. And I think part of it's because, this is they, like these aren't astronauts or warriors or soldiers or anything like that. They're like blue collar. They're like truck drivers. Is a comparison that's made a lot. They're just like they're just transfer. They're just moving stuff around. They're just blue collar workers on the ship for this corporation, worried about making money. But in the face of danger, Lambert sucks. <laughs> like the, it's just weird how she's just. I don't know, like the whole, like she's either crying or frozen or terrified every time anything happens. Oh, she, her, her only solution to everything is let's get the fuck out of here, <laughs> which I get, but it's not for to go from kind of setting up her character as like you were saying, kind of the the strong kind of always has, has a pissed off look kind of badass chick and then to kind of completely take all that away from her when when this shit hits the fan, it's kind of weird. Well, and I read that she was, like, really not happy about that and that Ridley Scott basically, like, talked to her and was like, yeah, well, I mean, what you're doing is, like, you're being the audience. You're you're being the face of their fear. So there's actually – it's – the trope itself is called Vasquez Always Dies, which is uh, where you have two action girls in a Isn't film. Isn't Vasquez from Aliens? Yeah, and <laughs> she's white. I was – I was going to – I was going to – Stopped. I was going to say Aliens kind of reverses that where it has that same character, but she's actually like the badass in that movie. Yeah. But she dies. Yeah. Yeah. So what it is, is you have two women in a film and only one of them can survive because, of course, only one of them can survive, which also leads me into the other thing that I wanted to talk about, which is the horror movie trope of the final girl and how we feel about that. And what the cultural implications of that are. <laughs> so, Sean, do you have anything that you want to um, touch on in that? Well, the the culture implications just kind of bum me out. Um, there can only be one. <laughs> uh, because you know, i i get the I get the appeal of it, and and kind of the the trope that has has lasted because all of these extremely iconic movies continue to perpetrate it but i don't really know how how positive it is or or how powerful it it really is i don't know i guess it depends on the movie because normally if you think about it like the final girl is usually like the pure inquisitive virginal one who didn't really do anything I was and like was say, investigative. Aliens a good gateway to talk about the final girl, but I think it is a better example of it. Yeah, because I mean, from the very beginning, Rip, like we mentioned, Ripley was originally supposed to be a guy. So, which also might have something to do with the fact as to like why she's the one that gets to survive in the end. Ripley survives basically because she's the one who is smart and does her job. She's like just 
the most capable person for the most part. She's the one who didn't want to let it on the ship. She's the one who they they uh, didn't listen to her ever, but she was the one who was right and ended up living in the end. I think uh, I think that is more of a reason for it than the whole idea of the vulnerable vert like the vulnerable woman who is being pursued by like the ultimate evil or the ultimate monster and then overcomes it in some yeah. way. Yeah. I do it's, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, John. Uh, no, sorry. So in one of the one of the aspects of it that I don't like is, you know, not only the kind of the innocent and and is a virgin and doesn't drink or do drugs. I've noticed that they always have some sort of ambiguous name ambiguously sex name you know so like ripley could be a male or a female that is um, actually a part of the trope i was oh, thinking is it? about okay, this great, yeah, yeah it's, it's usually a gender neutral name oh yeah realize that. for the most and, part uh sydney from scream Lori from from halloween ripley is her last name isn't it it may be her last name but that's still what she's referred to yeah as. no you're yeah. right you're right um and, and so to me that's is that I don't know if that is really a feminist thing, if they're actively trying to to take everything that could be unique about this woman away, you know? Well, yeah, a big issue with not just with horror movies, but with movies in general, is that you have these characters that are allegedly supposed to be like our like feminist representation, but they're written through a male lens. So it goes back to kind of what we were talking about with Jurassic World where we try to have this whole conversation about whether Bryce Dallas Howard's character is empowered because she chooses to wear the high heels and run around in them and yada yada. But like it, a, a man's idea of what is empowering to a female character is never going to be accurate. Like, I'm sorry, you guys, you can try as hard as you, as hard as you want. But like when you're trying to write a feminist perspective through that, gaze and through that lens like there's no way there's no way to successfully pull it off without consulting an actual woman or maybe like you know the actress who's playing the role that was what was so successful about Mad Max was they specifically had somebody who was there to like advise them on what they should do with the female characters so when you get into characters like Ripley or even like I don't know even like Nancy in Nightmare on Elm Street Yes, you want to believe that they're like strong and inquisitive and just badass and fighting. But when, especially in the case of Ripley, when you just have like a character that was for all intents and purposes supposed to be male and then you just replaced it with somebody who happens to have a vagina, it's not really a great like feminist empowerment thing because you take, you've taken away anything that was supposed to. <laughs> Her defining, yeah. yeah, her defining characteristic is her like her capability, which is it, she's very gender neutral in a lot of ways. Yeah, and so like not that like you can't have a strong female character who isn't necessarily feminine, but that is the trope that happens all the time is where you have these women who are just like one of the guys and it's like I don't want to hear a woman make a bunch of sexist jokes to fit in I don't want to be like oh I grew up with all these brothers and so I actually hate all other women and blah 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 like you can't that's not representation and it's not empowerment it's just you the pejorative you um using what you wish all women would be like to try to spell out what this like amazing powerful female is oh, in the modern sense it's like everyone praises joss whedon i'm a big joss whedon fan but it's still not even having 
him write these uh, ostensibly strong female characters is not the same as having more women directors to write the female characters or more women scriptwriters or any of those things. See, Joss Whedon is an interesting example because I have a lot of issues with Joss Whedon and the way he writes women. And this kind of ties in with Alien 2 where it's like... Even if you have the good intentions. It's kinda. it's baby feminism yeah. is what it is. It's, it's often referred to as 90s feminism because... When Joss Whedon thrived. Well, yeah. So it starts, and I mean, it doesn't really start in the in the in the '90s. It starts with movies like Alien and stuff like that, where you have kick-ass female characters doing stuff and blowing shit up. But at a certain point, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to just have a girl who happens to kick ass in your show because you have to give her a multifaceted character. You have to give her a flaw, and the flaw should not be was sexually assaulted or had something happen to her that like broke her spirit and then she climbed her way back up like it's lazy it's lazy and i'm sick of having like female characters who have to be broken in order to become strong and that's where alien comes in and where it's a little bit better because like i wouldn't say that at any point during the movie ripley is broken or like she's not really like assaulted or anything, and for a movie that came out in 1979, that's actually pretty refreshing. Well, that and I mean, this is putting too simple a face on it, but it just the last three people in this movie to survive are the two women and the black guy, which is obviously not a, the best way to judge things or whatever. But it is interesting that this super successful movie that had this diversity not only had the diversity, but like the characters that were were there the longest and were the most prominent were the diverse characters. But that trend did not pick up at all, really. Like there weren't nobody copycat. Nobody copied that. If they copied anything from Alien, it wasn't that specific thing. We just went back to, you know, having more final girls and having dudes, just lots of dudes, you know, dudes everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) But I, that, that's one thing I picked up on. I'm like, this is 1979. This is not a, this is not a thing that happened a lot, and it didn't feel forced. Like it felt, yeah. it made sense. Uh, well, like the captain went out on his own and he died. A guy who was in the exploratory party died, and that it, like they just happened to be the ones that evil left. robot guy died. Well, yeah, <laughs> evil robot guy. If he counts with his, with his spaghetti innards. I forgot. So when I I watched this movie originally when I was like 16 and I completely forgot about evil robot guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So when I watched it again, I was just like, oh, my God, he's evil and a robot. (laughs) Also, I just there was a credit article recently that mentioned it. But like the android blood is the grossest thing in the world. Like it's made out of like milk and stuff like that. It's really gross. So I'm, I'm sorry, Ian Holm, that you had to to have that in your mouth so much (laughs) (laughs) and just like all over your body and your face and just must have been gross you know good yeah good stuff yeah yummy it is fun picking out like the effects hold like it's like the thing where like they're obviously older practical effects but they still work really well but i do like when they're positioning the head like so yeah, I'm sorry, this is like a, such a small point, but when it's just his head talking, that's actually Ian Holm, right? They set up a fake head, and they cut away, and then they cut back to the android talking, and I'm like, is that just like his head through a table or something? I'm sure that's all it was. It was yeah. just fun picking that out, like, that's obviously a fake head, it looks, good. it looks pretty good, but obviously a fake head being set up, and then we have to cut away because the fake head talking would not have worked, probably. Well, isn't that why they always shoot? They always shot the alien from the profile because they didn't want you to be able to see that it was a guy in a suit. 
I mean, it's also like kind of the Jaws effect where the less you see it, the scarier it yeah, is. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Just smart. But yeah. and also a lot of close ups on that weird mouth. Like <laughs> Oh, it's so it's, good. The mouth with inside the yeah. mouth. Oh, like I, I'm like I don't know why, but it just really works, even though it's a little silly. You want to know what's actually really silly that really stood out to me? Um, I can't remember their names right now, but when the two guys are like getting phased into the wall or whatever, and are about to become eggs, why is flamethrower the way she decides to kill them? <laughs> <laughs> so I just I was just like watching and. I was watching it at work, and I was a little bit distracted at that point. And that happened. And I was just like, "Wait, hold on!" And I like rewound it, and I was like, "Yep, that's a uh, flamethrowers are badass." Flamethrowers space to death. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. That seems like of the time. Like I feel like somebody had just thought of flamethrowers and thought they were super <laughs> cool in like the mid late seventies because that like throughout um throughout the thing as well, they're just like shooting flamethrowers. That's true all throughout the like you're they're in like the the tightest closed quarters they can in this like antarctic base and there's just fucking flamethrowers flying <laughs> it everywhere. just seems it's like pretty... a really ineffective weapon to me <laughs> yeah i i completely agree <laughs> <laughs> but yeah okay so sean i know this is like one of your favorite movies and we've kind of been uh i kind of delivered my uh my rant for a little while there no, i'm just no. curious i just want to know like you're I, my soliloquy, yes. I just want to know, like, your relationship with the movie and, like, your feelings on, like, the art and all of that stuff, aside from the politics of it. Um, so, I, I've i seen it a lot of times, and the obviously the art direction is something that, that speaks to me a lot. Oscar um, nominated. It's kind of, yeah, it's, I mean, H.R. Giger is uh, supremely disturbed and depressed and fucked up and... Um, obviously that comes through in, in his art. And, um, I, I think, I don't think there's been anything like his character creations since then. And I don't think there probably ever will be again. And the way that Ridley Scott and, and the people that worked on the film were able to sort of bring, bring that type of darkness to life, um, has always been sort of endlessly fascinating to me. And it, it, it's scary, but like, like we were talking about before, kind of this this haunted house way where it's you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's around the corner. They have all these devices that are building tension, like Jones the Cat, which we haven't talked about oh my much, God. which is weird considering how much me and Kayla love cats. <laughs> Hold on, pause. Let's only talk about yes. that for the next – no, I'm just kidding. Finish your thought, then we'll talk about Jones the Cat. <laughs> um, let's just go to Jones the Cat. I, I brought up a, a bunch of facts about it, so um, – it was actually four cats. Did you know I that? I did. Yeah, I was reading because I I was reading about the movie uh, earlier this morning, and I saw that Sigourney Weaver was afraid that she was allergic to cats, like on the first day of set. But it turned out it was just the sweat, the sweat makeup, which is good yeah. because the cat is a seminal part of the movie, and I would be really sad if that wasn't there. <laughs> uh, um, it, I don't. What were we talking Jones about? Jones the cat. Four cats. <laughs> Oh yes, yeah, because you had to have you have to have an animal that can do different things. So like they had one that was for like being a, the pissed off cat. One was like the running away cat. One was the cat that loved to be held. Um, and so I was, and then I also read that there were the cat slept in one of the like the the chamber, the sleeping chambers. And I was thinking that if that wasn't if the cat didn't get to go in mine, I'd be fucking pissed off about that. <laughs> um, what other stuff do we have? Oh, there is a um, an ebook I found that is 
from Jones's perspective, like the events of Alien. Oh my god! But from the cast's perspective, I'll send it to you. It's Please, pretty awesome. I need that in real life. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a funny, a funny thing when I was uh, when I was researching the movie, there is on the IMDb discussion board. There's like a whole joke post, like written from the perspective of like a cat, and it's just like we're looking for equal representation too. You know, <laughs> and, like, it was hilarious. I, I'm a little upset that all those cats were tight. Catted? Type catted. Oh my god, you're fired. Alright, gotta go, guys. I'm very proud of that. That was really bad. I'm just gonna talk to Sean for the rest of the podcast. Anyway, yeah. I hear anymore. That's how bad that was. I was just really happy that the cat survived in the end. Yeah. Like you got to use your name again. I did. Well, and also just like it just made me really happy. I read an interesting theory though, where somebody was like, "What if the cat?" Because you know, like the whole like actual real life theory that cats are all just aliens that live in our homes and stuff like that. (laughs) So this whole theory, like batshit crazy thing that I found online, is that Jones was like in line with the alien, and that's why everybody (laughs) got killed because like so many. He's responsible for um. uh... For what's his name? Harry Dean Stanton, directly responsible for Harry yeah, Dean Stanton's Yeah, so death, the theory so. is that the cat was in line with the alien and just happened to like Ripley the best, and so that's why Ripley got to live. So the cat was like, nah, man, she's good. She, <laughs> I'm going to go home I, with I her now. <laughs> she went back for the cat, which is I'm like was when Ripley channeled Kayla. I would go back for the cat. I know you would. I would absolutely go back for the cat. Oh Especially like my cat. Can you imagine if I was in space and Phoebe was just like running around with her little stump leg trying to avoid an alien? I would absolutely sacrifice my life for her. Yeah, no question. I would do the same <laughs> thing. I was watching this with uh, a friend earlier this year. Kara, shout out to Kara. What's up, Kara? And she had never seen it before. And the entire, and she has, she's had orange cats her whole life. So the entire movie, she's like, if this, if this cat dies, we are never speaking again, <laughs> and I, I don't think I will ever be able to recover from this. Um, so she was very happy that, that Jonesy lived throughout, too. <laughs> I'm glad. It was funny when I was uh, – so before I watched the movie, I reread the synopsis because I that's a thing that I like to do so that I, like, have a really clear idea of, like, what's happening, what's going to happen because, like, obviously we're going to talk about it in depth and I don't want to look like an idiot. So I was, like, reading the synopsis and I must have skipped a sentence somewhere. So I'm, like, I get to the end and it's, like, so she takes Jones and, like, signs off on the column. I was, like, wait, I thought everybody died. And so I'm, like, like, <laughs> I'm, like rereading through. I'm, like, who the fuck is Jones? I'm, like, oh, the cat! Yes! <laughs> Yeah. So happy. And then we actually watched it and I was just like glowing the whole time. Also, pause for a moment. But we were just followed on Twitter by a YouTube series called Watch the Right Film. Are you fu- no. No. Okay. Uh ours I'm is better. So need that person uh we're gonna sue that person. I think they existed <laughs> before us. No, nope, that I don't care. <laughs> they have more Twitter followers. I don't care. Can we send them send them a direct message and be like, wow, that is a shockingly close name. <laughs> yeah. That's bold that they followed you, honestly. Maybe they're trying to intimidate us. Or we can watch their video series and become friends. That's or doubt. What, also what are you like? You guys are like in the movies where it's immediately like, we must kill them all. They're... They are the enemy. <laughs> there can only be one. I'm like, guys, maybe it's an olive branch. It's a nuclear warhead. <laughs> and it's coming right for us. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is this is now uh, it's now sieged into the sequel where it's just a fucking all out war between two podcasts. <laughs> it's a YouTube series. Yeah, they're not even a podcast. Uh, <laughs> how fun would that be? We were actually just discussing how we should try and incorporate some video stuff. So we should team up with them. We should. We have to watch their videos first <laughs> and make sure they're not the worst. I hope they're not listening to this. We could. I'm gonna. I'm, I, 
Well, I don't know if we're going to keep this in. But... I do want to say, in case they are listening, hi, friends. Hey. Uh, we're going to check you out. And You guys are my favorite. I'm subscribed. <laughs> <laughs> Sean's being a fucking brown noser, but uh, anyway. You don't even know if check you like this YouTube series. <laughs> All right, so it sounds like we're kind of coming to an end of the discussion I, I have, of aliens. I so do have one point. I, I would w- like, yeah. So I'm let Tyler do your closing point. Forgot my point. Oh no. Um. So going back to earlier, I, I forgot to mention this point, but uh, with the critical reception of this movie, part of the reason it had mixed reviews back in the day is that I, I went I actually went back and read a number of the reviews from the year this came out. Like so, The Guardian. And Roger Ebert, a number of those original reviews were available online. And part of the reason they were a little more down on Alien is because they had recently gotten a bunch of other classic movies that they were comparing it to. So each one of those mentioned at least three movies. I remember two of them. Uh, they were like, this is whatever, but like, it's, we just saw, we just got 2001 A Space Odyssey. We just got, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. We got all these other space movies that were really good, and this just doesn't measure up. So from with that in mind, it makes a little more sense why uh, some distance could have affected their opinions of it a little more because they didn't have these other also seminal but very different space movies in mind when they were watching this one yeah see uh that's they're actually, very different movies. that's really funny to me yeah because i haven't seen close encounters of the third kind in a really long time but i cannot imagine somebody holding that up as like better than alien that was also like in in like whack when it first came out i imagine opinions have changed on that a little bit in the last two decades Probably, if I had to guess. I think my dad is a really big fan of that movie, actually. Sorry, Dad. My dad's actually also a really big fan of Alien. That was why I watched it. But is your dad a big fan of the podcast? My dad probably doesn't even know what a podcast is, to uh. be completely honest. <laughs> that's <laughs> but, actually uh... very <laughs> So, uh, no, so actually that's a, a fun thing to talk about. The first time I ever saw Alien, I was 16, and my dad was like, wait a minute, have I actually never watched this with you? And I was like, no, like we've never seen this. And he immediately was like, all right, sit down. We're going to watch this right now because my dad is a big fan of this movie. And that's actually how I saw the first, the original Halloween movie, too. So apparently my dad's kind of a secret horror buff. We should we should talk to him about that sometime <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it. Your dad's coming out for the Halloween episode. Oh, my like, God. Now, <laughs> oh what my is God. this again? Holy Are shit. We re- so you're recording our voices. Okay, he's not that bad, then... Jesus. <laughs> Holy shit, though, that would be amazing. We oh should have god. our parents on an episode. Oh my god. <laughs> so my dad can make jokes about how disappointed he is, and people won't realize their <laughs> jokes? Because that's all my dad and I do, is make jokes at each other? Your, Scott, dad, your dad loves me, This though. is like the second time we've gotten really deep into like my relationship with my dad on a podcast. <laughs> Tyler's I dad. love my dad. He taught me to be the sarcastic asshole that I am with a warm and gentle heart. <laughs> Tyler's dad is awesome, and also his parents may actually love me more, which is hilarious. It's true. So, <laughs> Anyway, uh, Sean, closing points on the film Alien, which is what we are actually discussing. Or my dad. If you got any opinions on my dad, I'm sure he'd, he would be fi- a fan of the compliments, so. Four letters. Hunk. <laughs> <laughs> um, final thoughts. Oh, so I was taking notes while I was watching the uh, the thing with the commentary. And there was one shot where I forget who was sitting in just like a chair. And it was he was kind of silhouetted in like a cockpit with like through a window. I think it was when they first landed on the planet. Um, and he, he says, I love this cockpit. It's somehow very fascist. I don't know what that meant. Um 
but it, it made me die laughing. It's so I just wanted to share that. Fascist? Yes, <laughs> that is what he said. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't understand any aspect of it, but I just Why? wanted to share. <laughs> All right, I'm really glad that that uh that got brought up. Yeah. All right. So, anything else, sir? Your final points, Kayla. Um. <laughs> No, yeah, I'm good. Uh, yeah, so I just want to touch on, again, um, I feel like it made it sound like I was really down on this movie because I went on my feminist soliloquy, but I do want to point out that this is actually a fairly good movie to touch on Final Girl, misogyny and horror movies, etc., because it's, for the most part, very successful and kind of refreshing despite being older than probably almost all of the other movies we're going to talk about. But, you know, when you're wading through a sea of all of pretty much the same, it's nice to have a movie that at least mostly gets it right, aside from the whole thing with Lambert. So I'm going to let Tyler do his fun stat of the or well, Recommendations. Rec- God, I'm so bad at this. I'm sorry. This is my first time hosting. So oh, really? <laughs> I, I, I do want to say I'm curious what you'll think of your next because I know you want to see that. But that's like yes. an ultimate example of. A very different example of the final girl thing. See, the thing with horror movies is, okay, so there's my favorite Onion article of all time (laughs) is like feminist takes short half hour break to enjoy television program. (laughs) And like, I just like, I want that framed in our apartment because every time I see it, I'm just like, (laughs) yup. So with horror movies, it's like you kind of have to take everything with a grain of salt when you're watching them. And obviously horror is a pretty misogynistic thing. But also, I feel like we do a really good job of watching movies that kind of attempt to turn that on its head or be more socially progressive. I mean, and that's just, I mean, that's who we are as people, too. So for me, it's kind of like I enjoy horror movies for the most part. I enjoy watching them with you. I enjoy your recommendations. So, But then you get examples like the movie that followed us the other day, and I won't name it, but their big selling point is that it's a rape revenge movie. And I was just, I have a oh, very, gross. yeah. So I have a very, I oh. guess, I guess we're going to keep talking about this for a minute. I'm sorry. I no, just it's okay. I have, a, I have a serious issue with stuff like that because and this kind of goes back to Wes Craven and last it, house. It's on the selling left. it with the rape. Yeah. And that's kind of how movies like I spit on your grave and a couple other ones where it's like, it's again, like Last House on the left and all the other ones that are way worse than that. Well, movie. it's like, again, it goes into this whole thing where, like, you're trying to frame it as empowerment, but really it comes off as glorification. And especially with movies like Last House on the left and I Spit on Your Grave, where, like, the main focus is this, like, horrifically brutal, drawn-out assault. And for me, like... I, I, I don't want to say that you should never have a scene like that in a movie because there are ways to do it to like really have the gravity of that happening in your story. But one, like it has to be a part of the story and not the entire focus of the story. And when you want to try and frame it as a revenge plot is where it gets dicey as well because you have this guy like it again goes back to the male gaze where you have like how you have to break the woman before she well and also it goes with this whole thing where we have this whole societal obsession with violent acts against women because i guarantee you there are definitely guys that get off to that and rape revenge stories are really more for them i think to you know, get their Jimmy's rustled over getting to watch like this forbidden 
they're Jimmy. Shut up. Russell. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You were making a, a good point. You were making Jesus. a serious point, but so you get so. Damn it, I'm sorry. I, just, I <laughs> was with just you, and then you said Jimmy's Russell. Okay, I was trying to be less like. Anyway, so you have these guys who clearly have like this excitement and arousement over watching a woman be like violently violated, and then like they get to feel better about themselves for feeling that way because oh, like she gets back at them. And so for me, like, that's where I begin to have a serious issue with horror movies. And really, like, that's not even just a horror movie trope. That happens in so much of media. Like Shots fired at Game of Thrones. My Yeah, well, my main issue is where you have to have, like, this thing where, again, you have to break the woman before she can be strong again. And also where we use rape and assault as, like, a character builder and a, like, a plot enhancer. And that's not... That's not what it should be because that's very seriously like this happens to one in four women, maybe more. It's hard to get statistics on it. Um, I know personally many people who have been assaulted or raped and it's not like it's horrific. It's horrible and I'm sick of seeing it used in the media as this like end all like, well, we need something interesting to happen to the girl. Rape. Awesome. And so for me, that's that's really personal. And that was what was so upsetting to me about what happens with Lambert, because like it's not like outright, but it's heavily implied that that's what happens to her. And it just seemed like a huge misstep for me in the film as a whole, because the rest of the film isn't really like that. You don't really have like it's more of like haunted house, like scary jump scares. It's not like sexual violence. And so to me, that just like kind of came out of nowhere. Have you seen Evil Dead? No, but I know what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> I know exactly what scene you're referencing. It's a famous scene. Yeah. So, I mean, sorry, that was kind of, I got off on a tangent. Again, no, I brought but, it. I brought it up. Yeah. So, I'm trying to think of a way to gracefully close this out. I guess what I want to say is it's a serious issue. I think it's taken very lightly in the media a lot of the times. And, and a lot of times people don't really grasp, like, the horror of that happening to you or someone and like obviously this isn't a problem that just affects women but by and large it's a it's it happens more to us yeah and to bring it to alien like even in movies that do a lot of these things better than most there are still things to point out ways to be critical and lessons to be learned from it yeah and that's like what i really like doing with this podcast is because aside from shutter island we haven't really had a movie that i've actively disliked yet and that's the main point that I always want to get across like in my writing about feminism and like talking about stuff in movies and anything else is that like you can love something and still be critical of it. And that's like you really I think that's the best way to view things is through a critical lens. I get really annoyed when people are just like, oh, my God, it's just a movie. Like, just get over it or it's just a song or whatever. Like what? Like You just kind of like float through life just like absorbing things and never like think about them deeply or like try. <laughs> I don't understand. But yeah, so that's, I guess, my closing point. <laughs> it has gone way off the rails, as always. <laughs> this is a valuable discussion, Kayla. Do not denigrate it. Like no, that. I do. I'm, glad, I'm glad we talked about it. But I guess now we will move on to recommendations. Yes. Sean, what would you like to recommend this week? <laughs> uh, so the, uh, the, the man that wrote Alien, his name is Dan O'Bannon. Uh, in the mid-'80s, he directed... A, uh, a zombie movie but it's super super funny 
called The Return of the Living Dead. Uh, so obviously, even starting with the name, it's sort of uh, ripping off of the uh, the Living Dead series. But uh, it's basically about a bunch of um, like whatever stereotype of punks that you would think of. So this massive like mohawks and fucking chains and stuff like that. They stumble upon a horde of brain eating zombies um, and sort of how they dispatch of them over 90 minutes. It's super funny and the soundtrack's amazing and the the clothing is amazing and it's it's I I really I cannot recommend it enough. It's one of my all time favorite horror movies. Uh, it's definitely one of the best horror comedies, if not the best horror comedy. And um, crazy violent. There's a bunch of sequels that are also pretty cool. So um, there's like people dancing on graves and all types of weird shit and. Uh, so yeah, I, I highly recommend Return of the Living Dead. Maybe we can do a bonus episode of that. Mm. We haven't really planned out all of our bonus episodes yet. I think you guys would like it. It's super goofy and awesome. Cool. Sweet. All right, Tyler, your recommendation for the week. All right, my recommendation is very loosely related. It has aliens in it, and that's the... Uh... Oh, and it has aliens and British people. So it's basically the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is Attack the Block from 2011. Yes, I just i i was try I was trying to think what connection uh, I wanted to go with my recommendation, and I thought of Attack the Block. I'm like, aliens and British people are good enough. Um, <laughs> uh, this was also my first introduction, and probably everybody's first introduction until Star Wars to John Boyega, who is one of the main characters of Star Wars. He is really good in that movie as Moses. Uh, basically, it's a bunch of uh, these this small band of punks basically uh these aliens come down and are attacking their flat their the block and they fight them off it's just these yeah basically hooligans these hooligans fighting off these uh these aliens which have a really fun design too and it's just a really fun movie also fun point jody whittaker is in this movie and uh nick frost uh, who is usually paired with Simon Pegg and uh, who went in all of his most famous movies is pe- paired with Simon Pegg. But Cornetto Trilogy, yo. Cornetto Trilogy. <laughs> but yeah, uh, this is uh, directed by Joe Cornish. And it was just, it probably, the internet in 2011 wasn't quite where it was in 2015, but it was still one of those movies that among like film nerd circles was very buzzy for uh, many, uh, for uh, just for being this really cool little movie anyway so my recommendation for the week uh more in keeping with like the creepy atmospheric alien theme i like uh, fun alien murder under the skin starring scarlett johansson which i actually watched twice in the first time because the first time i watched it i was kind of just like sunk back in my seat and <laughs> confused and vaguely upset. <laughs> and then I watched it again and was like, okay, okay, I get it now. But basically, it uh, stars Scarlett Johansson kind of just meandering around to some weird music and murdering the shit out of men. Yep. And it's awesome. So, <laughs> um, I am a big fan of that movie. And I think if you like Alien and you kind of have more of like that, like, you're more into like the artsy vibe movies. You will it's, like that as well. It's definitely, it's very, it's very artsy. Many of the customers of were very oh my God. upset with that movie. <laughs> oh God. I have to bleep that out now. Man. 
I knew it. <laughs> Please. Anyways, I'm going to bleep it out. Yes. It's my Anyways, favorite writing joke. A lot of the customers at the video store that shall not be named. <laughs> From here on out. Were tremendously upset by that movie. They just saw um, Scarlett Johansson looking attractive. No, to be fair, I had a bunch of assholes who like rented it specifically because they wanted to see her naked and I was like, well, enjoy that. Yeah. Because it's going to be really upsetting to you. I hope you like when she tries to seduce them and then sucks them out of their skin. It's kind of like, it reminds me of that Sleeping Beauty movie with Emily Browning which as a teenager I did watch to see Emily Browning naked and came away <laughs> Have you seen that movie, Sean? Uh, yeah, it's horrifically disturbing. It's like... And it's, when you think of Emily Browning naked, that's could be pleasant because she's a very attractive woman. It wasn't. Um, but it's much the worst. <laughs> it wasn't community. pleasant at all. <laughs> oh, it was horrible. <laughs> it's not it a was... bad movie, but I don't think I ever want to watch it again. <laughs> uh, we confirmed I'll never see it again. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So. Uh, uh, after also, after I do, that, anti-recommendation. I do. Yeah, I do want to talk about really quick. Scarlett Johansson is, uh, you know, Really good friends with our patron saint and wonderful man, Chris Evans. How? They've been in like four or five How? movies together. Oh. And yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, so. I don't understand. <laughs> this has been Chris Evans Corner. <laughs> you gave me the host range, man. Like, it was going to happen. You should have seen this coming. We were so close. So, fun trivia of the week. Uh, I there's a lot of interesting trivia about Alien, but I kind of decided to go with the one that just made me giggle a little bit. Uh, the whole reason that the alien has acid blood was because when they were writing the screenplay, they couldn't come up with a good enough reason why they wouldn't just shoot it with a gun. <laughs> so they had to come up with a reason like why they wouldn't just kill it off the bat. <laughs> but yeah, so Tyler, uh, stat for the week. Have you recovered from my uh, seamless transition? Yeah, that very not out of place Chris Evans corner. <laughs> not at all shoved in, totally unnecessary with just the very smallest <laughs> of connections, just barely relevant. Chris Evans Have I recovered from the barely relevant thing that you mushed into our podcast? Chris Evans is always relevant. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, okay. So, uh it's October. We've done two horror type movies so far uh very different kinds the on the imdb there are many genres listed and they are all it's kind of genre is a weird thing especially when it's listed on this website because there are certain movies that are not listed as horror movies that you could say are horror movies like shutter island i don't think is and i'm not sure alien is so uh but on the imdb 250 there are only five movies, and it's been the case for a while, even with some things dropping off, that bear the genre horror in the title, which is 2% of the 250 for a pretty prominent genre. Now, even if you start adding in a couple of those that you could count as horror movies, maybe like a couple Hitchcock or something like that, although even Hitchcock, it's not totally horror all the time, except for like the cycle and stuff, but... Even then, you're going to get to around 10 or something like that, which is still a fairly small percentage compared to goddamn crime genre dramas. There are more movies that have that are could have both crime and dra drama in their genre descriptors than there are horror movies, and it's not even close. I think that just shows that 
the voting population for the IMDb Top 250 is pretty homogenous. <laughs> oh, and there I have I've been doing some research for an upcoming bonus episode on just on the IMDb and how it works. That kind of shed some light on how not all ratings are taken into consideration when it comes to a film's rating and its place on the 250. You have to be a regular voter. And so that even pairs down even more the block of people determining what movies get in. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. Teaser for our eventual IMDb bonus episode. Yeah. If you guys want to like give us money at some point for all of the free advertising we're doing for you. I don't think they're listening. Cool. <laughs> also, they're actually, no, I want to, I want to save where they're from. We're going to save that. Cause they're not American <laughs> as we possibly, as we positive. <laughs> Although they are owned by Amazon. Oh my God. Thank you for listening with us this week. Uh, if you have any comments or concerns or you want to talk to us at all, you can always email us at ltrfipod at gmail.com. Uh, probably a better way to get a hold of us or more interactive, you can follow us on Twitter at LTRFIPod. Uh, you can also find us on Tumblr to get show notes to find out when Chris Evans Corner will happen every week, etc. That is let the right films in at Tumblr.com. Uh, next Usually it's week, dot oh, we got ad. Shut up. So next week we will be doing the Sixth Sense, right? No, actually, I oh, think we, we pushed back the Sixth Sense. We're going to be doing Pan's Labyrinth next oh, week. Oh, all right, awesome. Actually, even better because I actually like that movie. So next week we'll be doing <laughs> Pan's Labyrinth with our good friend Monica Date, who will be our first time guest. She is an amazing human being, and I can't wait to be on there. So yeah, uh, thank you so much, Sean, for being on with us again and putting up with our excellent and amazing professional preparedness as always also Uh, known as general shenanigans general shenanigans yeah uh you are a wonderful human tyler you exist (laughs) that's fair no that's 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 fair all right so we will see you next week and remember trash world is trash and always will be yeah i got to do a thing Anyway, uh, so. Sorry, I was waiting for a cat to stop making noise. (laughs) But, uh. Uh, we have been listening to my cat make that noise. (laughs) And now we're going to restart. So. Shut uh, up, cat! Oh, my God. Uh, if you have any comments or concerns or you want to talk about anything we talked about, you can always email us at letthewrightfilmsin at gmail.com. That is not the email. Is it? Oh, my God. Okay, cut this out. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Jesus. Love you guys. <laughs> Never change. <laughs> Sean's right. uh. just like, ah, they're so bad. It's adorable. All right. All right. Stop, stop laughing. Okay. I can't. <laughs> you all good now?